0: Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. We are continuing our series of sermons today on Paul's letter to the Philippians. And I invite you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 1, the verses 27 through 30, which also form the text for the sermon. Let us hear the word of God. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel May the Lord bless the reading and the preaching of his holy word to our hearts. Dear friends, we live in dark times, at least in the Western world. Increasingly, Christianity is being marginalized. Christian morals and ethics, which once formed the bedrock of our society, are under attack. Despite the desire of most of our politicians to foster a free and tolerant and inclusive society, Christians and Christian perspectives are no longer welcome in the public square. Instead, we are being shut out and even maligned and ridiculed. And that, of course, raises the question, how then should we live in such a society? The Reformed thinker Francis Schaeffer wrote a book by this title some 40 or so years ago. But the question is just as relevant today as it was then. How should Christians live in the midst of an increasingly dark and hostile world? One commentator mentions four typical responses which he compares to the behavior of animals. Some, he says, get feisty and lash out like a cornered wolf. Others get timid and retreat like a, like a turtle retreats into its shell, or like a rabbit dives into its hole. Others get sneaky and like a chameleon try to blend into their surroundings. But the Apostle Paul has a different response. Our text this morning can be found in Philippians chapter 1, the verses 27 through 30. These verses mark the beginning of a new section in Paul's letter that runs to the end of chapter 4. Now up until this point, Paul has been informing the Philippians about his own circumstances. And he has told them that although he is under house arrest in Rome, he's doing rather well. In fact, his arrest has only furthered the cause of the gospel, he says. What is more, he has come to entrust himself to the Lord, such that whether he lives or whether he dies, it makes no difference to him. If he lives, that will be to their advantage, for then he will be able to continue his labors among them. But if he dies, that will be to his own advantage, for then he will be with Christ, which is far better. But now in verse 27, Paul turns his attention to the Philippians. He knows that the Philippians are facing fierce opposition. It's likely they were struggling with how to respond. And Paul tells them, in the first part of verse 27, he says, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, these words form the essence of our text. Everything that Paul says in the rest of these verses follows from and serves to explain this one statement. And so with that in mind, let's consider these verses under the theme worthy gospel conduct. And we'll see that such conduct, first of all, unitedly strives for the faith of the gospel. Secondly, it fearlessly confronts the adversaries of the gospel. And thirdly, it willingly submits to suffering for the gospel. So the Apostle Paul here exhorts the Philippians to let their conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, the word conduct here can also be translated as behave or live. And so Paul here is exhorting the Philippians to live in such a way that is worthy or that is becoming of the gospel of Christ. Now, some commentators have seen a deeper meaning in this word. The original Greek word that Paul uses here is derived from the word polis. And in ancient Greece, the polis was the city where one lived. And as such, this word has to do with citizenship. Now, citizenship was very important to the Philippians. Philippi was a Roman colony. And as such, many of its inhabitants were Roman citizens. And that conferred on them many special privileges. For example, a Roman citizen could not be arrested or imprisoned without trial. Roman citizens were also exempt from certain taxes. To possess Roman citizenship then was a, considered a great privilege. And many of the Philippians were very proud of their Roman citizenship. Now Paul uses this concept and applies it to the Philippians. He says, as it were, just as you conduct yourselves in keeping with your Roman citizenship, I want you now to conduct yourselves in keeping with your heavenly citizenship. I want you to conduct yourselves as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And to emphasize this, Paul uses that word only, the very beginning of our text. Only, he says, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, the word only in the original Greek comes first in the sentence, as it does also in in our English translation, and that gives the word special emphasis. It's like Paul is saying, whatever else you have to do, this is the one thing I want you to do. This is the bottom line. This is the non-negotiable. As you face increasing hostility and even persecution in this world, remember this one thing. Conduct yourselves worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, dear friends, that should be our aim as well. There's nothing more destructive to the Christian faith and nothing that gives occasion for the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme than professing Christians whose conduct is not worthy of the gospel, who live one way on Sunday and another way during the week, who claim to be followers of Christ, but who do not show it in their lives. Paul says to us, don't be like that. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. What is more, he says, to do this, whether I come and see you or am absent. Now, you may remember back in verses 26 and 27, Paul declared his confidence that his life would be spared and that he would see them again. Well, now he says that whether this happens or not, whether he is spared and sees them again, or whether he doesn't, whether he is killed and executed, then he wants them to do this one thing. He wants them to conduct themselves in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ, whether he is there or whether he is not there. Now, there's a lesson that we can learn here as well. There are some people who when the minister is around, or somebody that they respect, they act very piously and seriously. But when he's not around, then they're much, not much different than the people from the world. And Paul says, don't be like that. Don't be like that. Conduct yourselves in a manner that is worthy of the gospel, whether I am present among you or whether I am not. Now, what does that look like practically? Well, Paul mentions here two things. First of all, He says, to conduct yourself worthy of the gospel means to stand fast, or we could say stand firm. The word that Paul uses here is sometimes used of soldiers in battle. Upon engaging the enemy, soldiers, especially those in the front lines, had to stand their ground. If they didn't, if their line broke up, then they would certainly be defeated. Now, Paul says that's what he expects of the Philippians. He expects them to stand firm, to hold their ground, not to give any quarter to the enemy, not to compromise even a little bit on the truth of the gospel. What is more, he exhorts them to stand fast in one spirit. Now, some say that refers to the Holy Spirit, and therefore the word should be capitalized. Now, that's possible, Because it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that we can stand firm, and that unity is the work of the Holy Spirit. But it's more likely that Paul here is referring to the human spirit. The idea is that the Philippians were to stand firm with one common purpose, having the same goal, one in spirit. Like teammates who set aside personal glory for the sake of the team. Secondly, Paul says, to conduct yourself worthy of the gospel means to strive together. The word that Paul uses here is taken from the Roman arena. It's the same word from which we get the English word, athletics. So just as an athlete strives to win his competition, expending every ounce of strength and energy to that end, so Paul says the Philippians must strive together For the faith of the gospel. And they must do so, he says, with one mind. The Greek word can also be translated as soul. The idea is that the Philippians were to strive together with all of their heart. And they had to do this, he says, for, or we could say, in the interest of the faith of the gospel. And that phrase, faith of the gospel, means the faith that is the gospel. And by using that phrase, Paul is reminding us that the gospel has content. The gospel or good news declares that although we have sinned and deserve eternal punishment in hell, God in his mercy has sent his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, into the world. And he assumed our flesh and blood, he suffered and he died on the cross, and in doing so, he paid the penalty for our sins. And when we believe on his name, all of our sins are forgiven. We have peace with God and the gift of everlasting life. Now, it's for that faith that they must strive. The point that Paul is making is that the Philippians must be unified in their defense of the gospel. They must stand firm together and strive together for this faith. Now, dear friends, that message also comes to us today. Like the Philippians, we too, more and more, are living in a hostile pagan culture. No, we're not experiencing government-sponsored persecution like the Philippians did, at least not yet. But there is opposition. There's opposition from within the church itself. There's a lot of false teaching in the church. There's spiritual lethargy and laziness, and there's worldliness. Oh yes, the enemies of the people of God are many, and the attacks of these enemies are only increasing year after year. There's also opposition from outside the church. The church is under relentless attack by materialism, consumerism, hedonism, and humanism. And these attacks have been very successful. And none of us is immune from any of these influences. And so the question is, how should we respond to this? As I said earlier, how then should we live? Well, Paul tells us here, don't give in, don't compromise. We must not try to make ourselves look respectable in the eyes of the world. We must not, as has often happened in the past, go the extra mile to placate those who are going astray in the interest of maintaining the supposed unity of the body of Christ. No, we must do as Paul teaches in our text. We must stand firm in one spirit, striving together for the faith of the gospel. That's the only response that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so worthy gospel conduct unitedly strives for the faith of the gospel. But it also fearlessly confronts the adversaries. Of the gospel. That's our second point. Having explained positively that gospel conduct means standing firm and striving together for the faith of the gospel, the Apostle Paul goes on in verse 28 to explain this negatively. And he says there, "...and not in any way terrified by your adversaries." Well, who are the adversaries? Well, we don't know. Paul doesn't say. He doesn't name them. They may have been false teachers. In chapter 3, verse 2 of the same epistle, he warns the Philippians to beware of dogs and evil workers and those of the mutilation. These are all references to various false teachers who lived at that time. But they may also have been unbelievers, possibly even the government, the magistrates. We know from Acts chapter 16 that when Paul and Silas first preached in Philippi many years ago, they were beaten and thrown into prison. And it's possible that the Philippians were experiencing the same treatment. Well, whatever the case, in the face of this opposition, Paul exhorts the Philippians not to be terrified. Now, the word terrified is used to describe horses being startled in battle. Or an army breaking ranks and fleeing pell-mell in, the, in retreat. Paul here is exhorting the Philippians not to be like that. They must not succumb, as one commentator writes, to the intimidation posed by opponents' aggression, scattering in panic, or silenced by fear. Now Paul's not saying, of course, that the Philippians should be stoical and emotionless in the face of persecution. No, In 2 Corinthians 1 verse 8, Paul says that he himself despaired of life at one point. He's simply saying that such persecution or such tribulation should not produce fear that paralyzes the believer, or worse yet, that results in abandoning the gospel. Why not? Well, Paul tells us in the second part of verse 28, because he says, which is to them, he's talking now about the enemies, which is to the enemies a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation. Now, the question here is, what does the word "which" refer to? Some say it refers to their refusal to be intimidated by their enemies. Now, that's possible. But it seems more likely that this is referring to their faith. Specifically, their standing firm and striving together for their faith. And so what Paul is saying is this. He's saying, first of all, by standing firm and striving together for the faith of the gospel, the Philippians furnish their enemies with clear and unassailable proof that one day they will be cast into eternal perdition. Secondly, by standing firm and striving together for the faith of the gospel, the Philippians furnish themselves with clear and unassailable proof that they are the children of God and that one day they will enter into eternal life. Now, Paul makes the same point in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4 through 10. There, too, Paul speaks of the persecutions that the Thessalonians were made to endure. And he says that these persecutions, and I quote, are evidence of the righteous judgment of God, since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. So those who persecute will receive tribulation, and those who are persecuted, believers then, will receive rest. Now, it's not difficult to understand how this is so. When believers refuse to be intimidated by their enemies and instead stand firm for what they believe in, what the gospel teaches, then they prove that they're right, and their enemies are wrong. And those who are wrong will suffer the consequences, which in this case is eternal damnation in hell. Whereas those who are right will reap the rewards, in this case, eternal life in heaven. Now, to reinforce this, Paul adds, and that from God. The word that refers back to the word proof. The fact that their refusal to be terrified by their enemies is a proof of their enemy's perdition and their own salvation, that is from God himself. And therefore, they may believe it and they may rest upon it. Now, what a comfort this is for those who experience persecution. You know, we experience very little persecution in this part of the world, although it's certainly increasing. But the day may come, probably sooner than we think, when we will experience this persecution. And if we are all aware of what's going on in the world today, we need to be prepared. And when it comes, we don't have to be afraid. Why not? Because it's a sign. It's an omen of perdition to those who are doing the persecuting. But it's also a sign, we could say a guarantee of salvation, to those who are being persecuted And that sign is from God himself. And so not being afraid of our enemies is also an aspect of worthy gospel conduct. But there's one more aspect that Paul mentions here in our text. And that is that worthy gospel conduct willingly submits to suffering for the gospel. That's our third and final point. Paul ends his exhortation in verse 29 as follows. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Now the word for, or because, connects this verse to the verse that comes before it. It's as though Paul is saying, we know that the proof of the enemy's perdition and your salvation is from God because he has granted you the privilege of believing in Christ and suffering for him. Now, the Greek word translated as granted has as its root a word that means grace. And the idea is that for the believer, suffering, like believing, is a privilege. And it's granted by God. It's a gift of God's grace. Now, we can well understand how believing on Christ is a privilege. For had God not opened our eyes to see our need of Christ and worked faith in our hearts to embrace him, As our Lord and Savior and King, we could never be saved. We'd perish in the flames of hell. But how can suffering be a privilege? Now, make no mistake, suffering is not a privilege in itself. One should never welcome suffering. But suffering in behalf of Christ, in the interest of Him and His gospel, that's something different. Such suffering is indeed a blessing and a gracious privilege. You say, why? Well, for several reasons. First of all, suffering brings Christ nearer to the soul of the Christian. Secondly, suffering brings assurance of salvation, the conviction that the Spirit of glory and the Spirit of God rests upon the the sufferer. Thirdly, suffering will be rewarded in the life to come. Fourthly, suffering is often a means of winning unbelievers for Christ and of encouraging fellow believers. Fifthly, suffering, as it was in the case of Job, frustrates Satan and glorifies God. And sixthly, suffering makes us more like Christ. And for all of these reasons and more, suffering is a privilege. And Paul knew that. And therefore, he tells the Philippians that it is given to them not only to believe, but also to suffer for Christ. And Since that is so, as painful as it may be, they would willingly submit to that suffering. Suffering, like believing, is a gift of God's grace. Well, then, as if to encourage them, he points to himself, as he does in verse 30. He says, having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here is in me. The NIV translates it like this. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now here that I still have. The Greek word translated conflict or struggle is the same word from which we get the English word agony or agonize. Paul uses that word several times in his writings to refer to the Christian life. By using this particular word, Paul makes it clear that to live as a follower of Christ is very difficult. It's a form of agony. It involves strenuous effort. But his point is, they're not alone. The struggles that they are experiencing are the same struggles he himself has experienced and was experiencing at the present time. And to be sure, the Philippians were not under house arrest like the Apostle Paul, but they were experiencing struggles. And in that respect, Paul can identify with them, and the Philippians can identify with Paul. Their struggles unite them together, and with Christ, who struggled far more than anything we will ever experience in this life. And as such, they can encourage and support each other, looking to the day when the Lord Jesus will come again and all struggles will cease. Well, this is the conduct that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. It unitedly strives for the faith of the gospel. It fearlessly confronts the adversaries of the gospel. And it willingly submits to suffering for the gospel. Well, let me ask you, How do you stand in relation to the teaching of these verses of our text? Are you and am I unitedly striving for the faith of the gospel? Are you and am I fearlessly confronting the adversaries of the gospel? Are you and am I willingly submitting to suffering for the gospel? Now perhaps you say, well, why should I do this? Well, because the gospel is worth it. It is, as Paul says, the gospel of Christ The gospel for which we are to stand firm and strive and withstand attack and suffer for is his gospel. It's from him and it's about him. So to walk worthy of the gospel is to walk worthy of Christ. My friends, is he not worth striving for? Is he not worth confronting our enemies for? Is he not worth suffering for? Oh, consider who He is. He's the only begotten Son of God, the second person of the Holy Trinity. Is that not reason alone to live for Him? But consider also what He has done, how He left the glories and the riches of heaven, how He assumed our flesh and blood and suffered and died on the cross so that sinners might be saved. Oh, He's done so much for us. How can we not then give everything we have and are to Him? Yes, like the Philippians, we live in dark times. The enemies are strong. Hostility is increasing, but let us not draw back in fear, beloved. Let us not cower in the corner. Let us certainly not compromise. Rather, let our conduct, today and every day, be worthy of the gospel of Christ until he comes again. Amen. We always appreciate hearing from our listeners. If you are blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road. Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N, and that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. If you would like to listen to the message you've just heard again, or if you would like more information about our program, including how to contact us and how to listen to other messages on this program, please visit our website at BannerOfTruthRadio.com. That's BannerOfTruthRadio.com. Support for this program is provided by the Free Reform Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org. Your financial support for this program is welcome and deeply appreciated. If the Lord has placed in your heart a desire to help us to offset the costs of broadcasting this program on this station, you can send us a check in any amount. Again, our mailing address is 3386 Mount Lehman Road, Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9, or you can make a donation right on our web page. Our web page again is banneroftruthradio.com. Thank you for listening, and now until next week, may the Lord be with you all.